The person at number 44 on the Spirit of Soho mural lived on Frith Street and saved perhaps millions of lives worldwide by preventing a series of pandemics. No, it's not Matt Hancock, it's Dr John Snow. It's arguably true that of all the people on the mural, Jon Snow is the person who's had the biggest impact on human history, although we might have to slug it out for that accolade with a Soho contemporary of his, Karl Marx. And he did this over the course of a relatively short life, dying as he did at the age of 45. Born in York in 1813, Jon Snow had encountered the terrifying disease cholera early in his medical career whilst working in Newcastle, and had developed a theory about it that ran contrary to the received medical wisdom at the time. He maintained a preoccupation with cholera and its transmission for the rest of his life, despite becoming a leading figure in a different field of medicine, that of anaesthetics. Cholera is an infection of the small intestine that can strike suddenly and kill a victim in less than 24 hours. It must have been truly horrifying, therefore, to have lived in Soho in 1854 when the disease arrived, centering itself on the street now known as Broadwick Street. Famously, Jon Snow, without the use of a world-beating app, instigated a system of track and trace and located the source of Soho's outbreak. His methods have informed the treatment of pandemics ever since. To hear more about this pioneering physician, I rendezvoused in a very appropriate location with Jago Hazard. Jago Hazard may or may not be his real name, but in any case, he's a London historian and a vlogger who hosts a very popular YouTube channel. I got in touch with Jago after seeing a video on his channel all about Jon Snow. So, Jago, we are in a pub in London's fashionable Soho district. Can you tell me where we are and why we're here? We're in a pub called the John Snow, which is named after Dr. John Snow, not to be confused with the newsreader or the character from the popular series Game of Thrones. Never heard of it. I understand it's it's quite popular with the kids. We are on Broadwick Street, which is formerly Broad Street, which was the centre of an investigation by Dr. John Snow into the question of how cholera was transmitted, which is more interesting than it sounds, because he was kind of a medical detective. Uh, he was a bit, of a, a bit of a maverick in Victorian terms, you know, wearing brown shoes in town, that sort of thing, and very much going against medical orthodoxy, and we are here to discuss him. I think the story about John Snow, particularly Soho folks listening to this, might well know very roughly about John Snow and cholera. Tell me a little bit about his background. Yeah, he came from, uh, I believe, fairly humble origins. He was he was a pioneer of uh, anaesthetics. In fact, his work in anaesthesia was so pioneering that you know he'd be well known just for that. He helped to deliver Queen Victoria's children, Leopold and Beatrice. Uh, he was a great advocate for medical hygiene. And before the investigation that made his name, he'd been very interested in the question of miasma theory, which was the accepted theory for how disease was transmitted at the time. They believed that there was this sort of vapour that rose from foul and decaying matter, and that was what caused disease. That doesn't sound ludicrous. No, no, it's not a stupid theory by any means, because... 
you could see that people who lived in foul and unhygienic conditions tended to get sick. Obviously, if you've got somebody who lives by an open sewer and they get ill and you don't know that there's a connection between germs and disease, then it makes sense in a way. I mean, things that smell bad make you feel nauseous anyway. But the thing that Snow spotted was that it was by no means universal. So throughout the 1840s, he looked into the transmission of cholera and he noticed that while the miasma theory mostly held, there were some odd exceptions, like there was an outbreak in Exeter in 1847 on a street that was quite well off, not sort of a crowded, urban, poor area. It just didn't fit the orthodoxy. Like, why were these people who weren't, you know, surrounded by abattoirs or sewers, why were they getting sick? It didn't make sense. So, he theorised that it was transmitted through water. Now, he didn't know that it was germs per se, but he figured that might be a good avenue to pursue. So he, he'd done this work on cholera before arriving in Soho. This is early in his medical career. So was he on the lookout for an outbreak of cholera almost to kind of back up his theories? In, in a sense, yes. I mean, I think most... I, I don't think any doctor would say that uh, they, they want people to die, but... Dr Doom would. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Ah, oh, that guy. <laughs> Um, yeah, he was I, he was hoping for an opportunity to actually test his theory out, and in 1854 uh, he got it because there was a huge outbreak. It started in Russia, kind of spread all over the place, and at the end of August it arrived in Soho, and it was kind of quite a useful thing for him because not only was it on his patch, but Soho was not connected to such um, freshwater facilities as there were. All the, all the water came from uh, pumps, and of course it was, it was an area that at that time was quite poor. You had abattoirs, uh, tanneries, other sorts of noisome and unpleasant industries. So he figured this was the perfect test bed, as it were, because if it was transmitted from water, then he could, he hoped, isolate it to a single point of transmission. Which is what he did outside this very pub that we're in. Indeed. It's the sort of thing that I think would you know, make a good sort of Sunday night BBC costume drama. He teamed up with uh, the Reverend Henry Whitehead, who was another local resident, very much respected, and he went from door to door interviewing victims of the outbreak to find out what their habits were in terms of water, where they got it from. By mapping it all out, he eventually traced it to a pump in Broad Street, now Broadwick Street, where we are now. Wasn't there, there were a couple of locations in Soho that didn't get it? Yes, through his interviews he discovered that the men who didn't get sick, even though the rest of their family did, were working at the Lion Brewery, where they had an allowance of beer, which of course the water was boiled so it was, it was safe to drink, so they were absolutely fine. But there was an elderly woman out in Hampstead, which had no other cases, who did die. She had previously lived near Broad Street, but she had her grandson 
who did deliveries out there bring her bottles of water from the uh, the pump on Broad Street because she preferred the flavour. And um, when you learn about the what, origin of the outbreak, well, <laughs> so Snow traced the outbreak to because back then. As I say, Soho was not connected to the main sewer network. So what you had was cesspits. Those could be quite porous. It turned out that there was a family where a baby had died of cholera. They'd been putting the nappies into the cesspit and they had contaminated the Broad Street pump. And that was the root of it. Did he make this discovery and then tell medical establishment and they said, well done, John, you've discovered it for us? Not exactly. One or two people liked the theory, but most people didn't. I mean, it wasn't the first time he presented the theory. Um, He first presented it in... I believe 1848. It wasn't very well received, and even even now it wasn't. What happened initially, which I think is quite interesting, was that he went to the parish council of St James, presented his findings. They took the handle off the pump, but then they decided there wasn't strong enough evidence, so they put it back. One of the problems was that during the outbreak, two-thirds of the local population fled. So by the time he was coming to his conclusion, the uh, epidemic was already dying down in Soho. So the naysayers could pin that decline in cases on the fact that uh, people were disappearing. Yeah, I mean, I think also it was... I suppose the thing is, uh, with miasma... It's hard to say this person has not been near something that smells foul. So ultimately, though, his theory was accepted. Uh, we, we now we now know, obviously, that he was correct. But how long did that take? It took about 12 more years, actually. Um, and ironically, one of the first people to really say this guy is onto something was Dr. William Farr, who had previously been a very vocal opponent, was dealing with another outbreak in Bromley by Bow, and he thought, well, let's... Uh, Give it a go. Yeah, and uh, he, he, he came over to Snow's side. People tend to be very resistant to ideas that go against the orthodoxy. To us, it makes perfect sense, but if you're a doctor who's been taught your entire career, it's miasma. If you've looked at cases where it appears to be miasma and see nothing to contradict that. Yeah, and he was quite interesting, wasn't he? Because he was, I mean, it's ironic that we're in a pub because he was a teetotaler, he was a vegetarian. Which yeah. must have been bizarre in those days. People must have thought it was a crackpot. Oh, I think so. I mean, I think that that might well have uh, also been a factor in his not being accepted. It feels sometimes that those forces that he was fighting against are in the ascendant again. There seems to be resistance to data and evidence and proof, and that seems to be on the up somehow. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Um, I think in a similar sense to uh, what we were dealing with at the start of the pandemic, with cholera it was an unknown and frightening thing. In, In many ways I would say more frightening than Covid in that it was something where a person could appear perfectly healthy and strong at breakfast and be dead in the evening. I think people kind of fear what they don't understand and I think in a sense that's a major part of what we're seeing now a lot of these conspiracy theories 
I think again, it's it's kind of a, a thing about uprooting the status quo in a sense. Um, with snow, he was saying, the water you drink, the water you wash with, that's what's doing it. And I think with uh, with COVID, we're being told again, it's stuff in your everyday routine. It's socialising. It's going on the train. It's uh, going to parties. In a weird way, I think we are a bit less equipped than people in Snow's era. In that, back then, disease was kind of kind of something to some extent. I think that people accepted. Obviously, this was before widespread vaccination, antibiotics, and things. I think now we sort of tend to view epidemics as a, a thing of the past. I, I know I remember when they first announced this new disease I was thinking, well, not going to get here, this is this is going to be like uh, like SARS. The news is playing it up and it'll be gone in a few weeks when the news finds something interesting to talk about. If only. Well, yeah.